Good evening. Thanks for joining us. She's a young mother of three, had been in good health and hadn't recently traveled. But Jacqueline Robinson is among the thousands of Canadians who contracted COVID-19. And she wasn't just sick. She ended up in hospital on a ventilator. Grace Key has more on the nurse's terrifying ordeal and the message she needs you to hear. As paramedics rushed Jacqueline Robinson to VGH, she told her husband not to worry and she would see him in 10 minutes. Little did she know it would turn into two weeks. And the doctor came to me and he said, you're not getting enough oxygen, we need to put you on a ventilator. And I was like absolutely terrified because I knew that meant... It was critical. Jacqueline's husband, Kirk, first had COVID symptoms mid-March. A few days later, Jacqueline fell ill. As a children's hospital nurse, she got tested right away and the results were positive. I remember saying to my girls, we're going to be fine. We're young, we're fit, we're healthy. A few days later, Jacqueline had trouble breathing and was rushed to hospital. Knowing all too well what it means to be on a ventilator, she made a painful phone call to her husband. We're talking through it, we're praying and we said goodbye, and I was unsure of my future at that point. Both of Jacqueline's lungs collapsed. A week later, she woke up at the COVID ICU with other patients. There's young people in here. Like, I, it was a big moment because I realized I was, I had been complacent of the severity of it. And it was like, wow, this can impact anyone. And this is needs to be taken seriously. While in hospital, her three daughters fell ill, but with mild symptoms. With no travel or risk factors, it's believed the virus was contracted through community transmission. Luckily, none of her contacts had symptoms. It was hard. You know, Kirk and I are having to phone our loved ones, our friends, and it's embarrassing saying, we have COVID-19. We're so sorry. You are now a contact of a known case. You have to self-quarantine for 14 days. Jacqueline says she's sharing her story not to scare people, but in hopes that they don't become complacent. We need to get through this together. And I think the only way we're going to get through this is if we, you know, have faith that in this process and follow all the public health recommendations. Jacqueline has scar tissue on her lungs, her liver and heart are also affected, and she still has difficulty breathing, but she hopes she'll make a full recovery. Grace Key, Global News. Another potential lifelining is, is opening up for those in economic dire straits due to the pandemic. Starting tomorrow, business owners can begin applying for the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. It's meant to help companies pay up to 75% of employee wages for several months. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, it may not be the solution many businesses need right now. At Livia Suites on Commercial Drive, business is as good as can be expected. But with employees to pay and rent due, the stress is mounting. Adding to owner Claire Livia Lassen's worries, the wage subsidy doesn't help her. Everything I've seen thus far we've been ineligible for, even though we're radically down in sales and could really use some help. Businesses can apply for the wage subsidy Monday. More than $70 billion designed to keep employees tied to businesses while easing pressure on owners to pay other bills. At the Global Group, with restaurants including Coast and Italian Kitchen, the subsidy will mean hundreds of employees can keep getting paychecks. But according to CEO Imad Yacoub, it doesn't mean anything without revenue. We went through probably in, the company, in our company $3.6 million of cash flow since we closed. For businesses that have seen revenues decline by 30%, 
the benefit will cover up to 75% of its wages. Each employee topped out at $847 a week, up to a maximum of $58,700 over three months. Just as the subsidies for businesses begin to roll out, the BC Business Council says the government needs to be thinking of the next phase of recovery. Canadians need to get back to work. Uh, the latest job numbers show, Aaron, 130,000 job loss just last month alone. We expect at the Business Council that number to grow to 180 to 300,000 people. And those numbers are massive. The wage subsidy rolling out this week will dwarf the recent CERB. But unlike the emergency benefit, there won't be staggered application times. The money from Canada's largest ever social program should be in hand by the second week of May. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The provincial government is boosting this year's funding for a helpline during the pandemic through Family Caregivers BC. It's a non-profit that supports people, often family members, caring for the elderly. And today we are announcing an additional $500,000 in funding for the Family Caregivers of BC. This funding will allow the Family Caregivers of BC to increase the capacity on their helpline and to expand their virtual toolkit to ensure family caregivers across BC can reach out and connect with each other and know that they are not alone. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, no news conference with Dr. Henry today, but she mentioned something yesterday that may be giving a lot of hope to people as we look towards the new normal. Yeah, everybody's always wondering, how are we going to come out of this? When are we going to get back to normal? We're not getting back to normal. One thing we are going to get back to is the resumption of electric sur elective surgeries in our hospitals. Of course, 19 hospitals have been turned into COVID-19 uh, hospitals awaiting a potential surge. So the numbers, to bring you up to date, there's been almost 14,000 cancelled or postponed surgeries now. Uh, that hasn't really grown in number. One thing that has grown in number is the number of surgeries that are actually being performed. Uh, even though without electives, almost 12,000 surgeries have been conducted as, uh, as of April 19th. About uh, almost half of those are, are emergency cases, broken legs, car accidents and such. So that type of work continues to be done in the hospitals. But in terms of elective surgeries, the target is mid-May. That's sort of a moving target. Uh, but Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday saying, pointed out, it's not that simple necessarily to, like, to suddenly open the hospitals to allow elective surgeries to occur because there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of other things have to be done on a very careful basis. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. We're looking at it in a whole system um, way. There are still, uh, um, particularly the intensive care units in, in a number of hospitals have uh, numbers of cases in them, but we're looking at uh, transitions because when, when, you, when you start elective surgeries, you have to use the post-anesthetic recovery rooms and the operating rooms, which were all part of our um, strategy for surge capacity should we need it in intensive care. So how to ramp those up in a way that is thoughtful and and um, systematic is uh, the work that uh, others are doing, including uh, Michael Marchbank, as you've heard about. Keith, nothing simple about any of this. Um, what are you going to be listening for tomorrow during Dr. Henry and Minister Keith's update? 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We've gone two days without numbers now. Hopefully the number of cases is tracking where it was before that big spike last week around, uh, you know, mid-20s, uh, high-20s. But one thing we're going to be looking at, the Mission Prison, there's been a big spike there, uh, 40 in one day on Friday. Also, the Superior Poultry Farm in Coquitlam is another one we're looking at. Those are two clusters where there's been the most outbreak uh, in, in recent days. So hopefully there's no more big numbers associated there. And, of course, we're always keeping an eye on hospitalization numbers. We have been dropping steadily since a high of 149 a few weeks ago, now below 100. And ICU, ca ICU cases, critical care cases have been dropping as well. So hopefully that trend continues tomorrow. In any event, the briefing, as usual, um, will be at 3 p.m. from the Legislative Press Theater here. We'll be carrying it live on BC1, and I'll be on there, I think, with you tomorrow. Uh, you will be with me tomorrow. All right. Thanks, All right. Keith. And speaking of which, medical staff are now monitoring the situation at Mission Institution around the clock, trying to prevent the further spread of COVID-19 through the federal medium security institution. The Correction Service of Canada says one third of the population, or 105 inmates, have tested positive for the virus. Two are in hospital. 38 have since recovered. Mass testing at the prison began last week. Those with symptoms are being isolated from others. And all staff and inmates have now been given masks to wear. And the lockdown. A small crowd of people wanting businesses to reopen right now marched from English Bay through downtown Vancouver this afternoon. They ended up marching past St. Paul's Hospital as some paramedics looked on. It follows similar but much larger protests in parts of the U.S. where demonstrators have called on governors to lift or loosen COVID-19 restrictions. A Prince George businessman is shaking his head after viewing the surveillance footage from the rear parking lot of his closed shop. Yesterday afternoon, just after five, two men rolled up behind a body piercing studio in downtown Prince George. One of the men pulls out what looks like a handgun. Then they both take turns holding it and aiming it. There's nothing to indicate it was ever fired, and it's not clear if the weapon is authentic or replica. Still, the shop owner tells Global News he's concerned by what he feels is an uptick in violence and crime in the city. The video has been shared with the RCMP. The mayor, Williams Lake, says the flooding situation is expected to get worse as his city remains under a local state of emergency. It's washed out more here since last night, big time. Flooding and erosion has devastated the River Valley, where roads and bridges are washed out. Hawks Creek, east of 100. 150 mile house continues to flood agricultural land and this area is southwest of Williams Lake where Mayor Walt Cobbs says if the weather warms up they'll be even in even worse shape. Much of the vegetation was charred in the 2017-2018 forest fires and now the land can't absorb water. At least four properties at Hawks Creek Crossing on Likely Road are on evacuation alert while one is on evacuation order. I'm leaving. Uh, they asked me to evacuate last night, and the thing is, like it was about 10, 10, 10 o'clock or so, eh? and I thought if that horsefly road goes, this one's guaranteed going to have water coming over here somewhere. Every, every year the, the creek comes up, nothing like this. I've been here since 1972. And in that amount of time, it's come up four, four different times that it's crested the, the road. Nothing at this volume. 
The city of Williams Lake urged residents to limit their water use this afternoon after a sewage line ruptured due to high water volumes in the River Valley. That's where the road to the sewer lagoons is washed out. The city is investigating the incident. Residents are being asked not to bathe, do laundry or wash dishes until further notice. With more people staying at home and working from home, there are fewer drivers on the roads right now. But more than a month ago, have a look at this dash cam. This is footage of Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby. The left frame shows eastbound traffic from Grandview to Sprott during the afternoon rush on March 20th. The right frame was shot this past Friday at about the same time. Police say vehicle volume has increased in the last two weeks. No word on exactly why. But as Kristen Robinson reports, some some traffic units are reporting an alarming spike in drivers who appear to have forgotten there are speed limits. If you're flooring it on an open highway, don't expect police to put the brakes on enforcement. We're not you know, changing our normal procedures in dealing with uh, violators that choose to speed. Saanich police prolific during the pandemic. In the last three weeks of March and first week of April, officers clocked 16 vehicles for excessive speeding, a 700% spike over just two impounds in the same 30-day period in February-March. Quite a high number, perhaps the fact that the, you know, the roads are more open and uh, people were taking liberties with uh, less traffic and deciding to, to, to speed, unfortunately. Greater Victoria Highway's not the only public roads being used as personal racetracks. Police across the province documenting pedal-to-the-metal incidents. It's really quite shocking. A driver late for their tea time, accused of 132 kilometres an hour in a 60k zone. 62k over the limit on Abbotsford's Highway 11. Victoria Police busting a motorcycle rider for 140 kilometres an hour in a 50 zone and two supercars flying the curve instead of flattening it on the sea to sky at 163 and 188 in an 80 zone. Squamish RCMP wondering if the COVID lockdown is bringing the inner race car driver out. Some drivers seem to think that the rules don't apply to them. They think that they're better than everybody else. BC's public safety minister says they're not, and excessive speeders will not be tolerated. These people will get caught and uh, they should get nailed with uh, tickets. 40 kilometers over the limit will net you a $368 fine if caught, 60K or more, $483. In Saanich, traffic is slowing down. Police hoping their full-throttle COVID crackdown is over. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Support for the victims of last weekend's mass murder in Nova Scotia continues to pour in. 22 people were killed in that horrific tragedy. And as Elizabeth McSheffrey reports, tributes to the victims are as unique as each of the people lost. As Nova Scotia continues to mourn the 22 slain in last weekend's mass shooting, tributes to those lost are coming in all shapes and sizes. For Brooklyn, Nova Scotia's Chris Harding, it was a 22-kilometer run on Saturday. He spoke the name of one victim at the start of each kilometer. It was more tough emotionally than, than physically, I think. It was, it was an emotional 22 kilometers. For the Victorian Order of Nurses Canada, which lost two staff members in the attack, it's a memorial drive on Sunday night. 
A convoy of cars will drive from Mastown, Nova Scotia to DeBert in honour of nurses Heather O'Brien and Kristen Beaton. One of the workers was driving that morning from one client in Mastown to our client in DeBert and she never made it so this is our way of finishing their final route. The VON team says the cars will pull over in front of O'Brien and Beaton's memorial sites for a moment of silence and they'll be there in numbers. We all lost a little sense of security in our hometown and in the community, so I'm hoping it brings us all a little comfort for those that are going to continue to travel that route to care for their clients. Meantime, a Canada Red Cross Stronger Together Nova Scotia fundraiser has raked in more than $1.5 million since last week. 100% of that will go to the victims' families in the weeks and months to come. Some uh, children have been left without parents, and there may be a requirement for things like uh, scholarships or other things to sort of uh, help them through their future. There's going to be a lot of emotional scars from this, a lot of psychosocial support and, and emotional community support that might be required. Even Tim Hortons is pitching in too with a Nova Scotia Strong Donut coming to stores across Canada by mid-next week. Proceeds from those sales will go to the Red Cross's Stronger Together campaign. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News, Halifax. All publicly funded schools in Ontario will remain closed until at least the end of May. They were scheduled to reopen next week, but the province's education minister changed that decision based on advice from medical experts. We're going to ensure that safety remains our paramount priority, which is why uh, we're providing an additional month extension for us to work with Dr. Williams at the command table to make sure we get this right, to make sure that ultimately the students and staff, when they return, can do so with absolute confidence it is safe to do so. And school closures in Ontario could be extended even further. Meanwhile, tomorrow, Quebec's premier is expected to unveil that province's plan for allowing students to return to class. Tonight, there is international intrigue over the fate of North Korea's leader. According to reports out of Japan, Kim Jong-un is in a vegetative state. U.S. intelligence claims the dictator could be dead or in critical condition after complications from heart surgery. China has since sent a team of doctors to North Korea. South Korea says Kim is alive and well in a rural state, the rural area of the rogue state. New satellite photos show a train likely belonging to Kim that's been parked at a resort town since April 21st. The dictator hasn't been seen for at least two weeks, and he missed the celebrations of his grandfather's birthday. Along with PPE, hugs and dinners out, something else in short supply these days? Laughter. But a Vancouver Island boy is trying to change that. He's using a tried-and-true method that could quench the thirst of passers-by, not for lemonade, but for comic relief. Paul Johnson explains. In the backstory of many entertainers, there's often a humble, do-it-yourself beginning. How do sea creatures communicate? Oh, yeah, you got me. I don't know. With shell phones. This guy's a genius. For several days now, six-year-old Callahan McLaughlin has been doing several performances each day at what may be the only comedy venue in the province to survive the lockdown, the Saanich Joke Stand. Well, my mom and dad said it couldn't do lemonade stands. Cal's parents wanted some way for him to get outside, interact with the neighbors, and give them a bit of a break. He's been practicing telling jokes for about six months. He tries to come up with new material every day. 
to varying success. What do you get when your dog makes you breakfast? What? You get pooched eggs. So far, Cal's been getting most of his material from a joke book, not uncommon for budding comics. And he's got plenty of time to work on his delivery. Have you seen some of the same people twice? Um, no. But don't feel too bad for Cal. Learning to cope with thin crowds and hecklers is all part of the game. And besides, he's not in it for the money. There's a lot of stress in the world and I kind of want to get some smiles on faces. Learning how to read his audience at the age of six. Well, it's a long way to the top. Cal McLaughlin's got a pretty good head start. <laughs> Paul Johnson, Global News. He has a bright future. It's different than any other year that I've seen it in the last 20 years. The ice on the Athabasca River through Fort McMurray broke Sunday morning, causing major flooding. This video, taken before noon, shows the extremely high water levels. Substantial ice, and it's uh, it's not moving at all. So, I, I, And it's backed up against our bridge. This prompted a secondary state of local emergency. As of Sunday afternoon, a mandatory evacuation notice was issued for Draper, a community of about 200 people just 12 kilometers south of Fort McMurray, and an industrial complex on the city's north end. We have a, a team that's been well prepared for this. Uh, even though there's the COVID situation happening, that was taken into account and we're, uh, you know, we're making sure that our residents are well looked after. If there's any place that knows how to deal with an emergency, it's this region. Mayor Don Scott says there's a berm that protects downtown Fort McMurray, so there's no immediate risk, but still he says residents in the area should be ready to evacuate. Since 2016, we always are. We have developed an emergency plan as a family. We're always, unfortunately, I guess, or maybe fortunately, um, we're always ready to evacuate now. An evacuation centre has been set up and Scott says the province's environment minister has also reached out. There's no end date to the state of emergency at this point. We can keep renewing them as long as necessary. Uh, after we evaluate the situation and see when the water peaks, then we'll have a better sense of when this will uh, you know, come to an end and when we can uh, take further steps. Nicole Stilger, Global News. And Yvonne joins us now with a look at the forecast. And uh, folks in the Caribou not feeling too uh, happy these days either. Yeah, we're still tracking some active weather, especially over the next couple of days. And there is some instability that is going to kick up with the risk of thunderstorms. And I'll have more in just a moment. A quick glance at what we saw was a fair bit of cloud cover to round things off for the weekend. Temperatures were pleasant today. Here's a shot of what it looks like over English Bay. And the winds are going to ramp up, especially as we get closer to midnight. And we've got some rain on the way, currently sitting at 13 degrees with the southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. A few photos that were taken over the weekend. This was the sunset last night along the Sunshine Coast. So thank you so much, Carly. Last night in North Vancouver. Dickens, thank you so much. That's a fantastic shot with the ominous looking clouds. Capturing a beautiful rainbow in Penticton taken by West and the spring foliage. The blossoms, get out and enjoy them while they last. Well, you can rather. And this was taken by Dave. Email us your photos at weatherwindow at globaltv.com. We've had very windy 
windy conditions, all courtesy of a system that's been tracking its way along the northern half of the province. Earlier today, we had gusts of over 90 and 100 kilometers per hour, and a wind warning is still in effect along the north coast. Haida Gwaii still included within that. This evening, along coastal areas, the winds will start to ease off, but it's this same system that is bringing lots of instability over the next couple of days, and we're tracking two systems. Already starting to see that rainfall pushing in across the island, and that's what's going to move across Metro Vancouver. The timeline, so a heads up, the heavier rain moving in overnight and for the morning hours, and we are going to see the instability for the afternoon with all areas along the south coast. Risk of a thunderstorm for the afternoon, central and southern interior will also be included within that. Areas near Williams Lake will start to see two more wet days with a significant amount of rain. Overnight temperatures will dip down to nine. We do see the rain ease off, but still some on and off showers. And then towards the afternoon, risk of a thunderstorm for Monday and temperatures will be up to 14 degrees and very windy conditions as we get in late this evening and for the morning hours tomorrow. The northern half of the province still wet and windy inland with that instability, similar for the northeastern corners of the province. Much of the central interior, it is a risk of thunderstorms. Temperatures will be up to 11 degrees and all areas across the southern interior will see that instability for tomorrow, risk of thunderstorms, windy conditions with even the potential to see gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. Whistler, cooler day with temperatures sitting at 9, heavy rain late evening and for the morning hours on Monday for all areas across the south coast. Temperatures tomorrow will bump up to 14 degrees. We will start to see it ease off the precipitation for the evening and then the next wave of moisture is going to move in. Heavy at times, so quite soggy to kick things off for the beginning of the week and then easing off to a few showers for both our Wednesday, Thursday. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Uh, now I want you to be watching this. A six-month-old panda cub began to meet visitors virtually at the Shanghai Wildlife Zoo this weekend. JJ Zay playing with its mother to the delight of visitors and Yvonne, of course. The cub now weighs 40 pounds. The deputy director of the zoo says the cub has now shown signs for a change in diet as it's learning more from its mum. The zoo's giant panda house had to be sealed off by glass due to fear of the spread of COVID-19. So a monitor was installed to provide a live broadcast of the movements and interactions between the pandas and visitors. So cute. And there's this. In Germany, a man and some special animals are helping people stay calm during the pandemic. Alpacas and camels are creating some of the perfect therapy for those in need of it. The farm owner says he's been live streaming them for others since he's been forced to close down. So he gives guests an online guided tour of the farm to visit with the animals. Isn't that? Fire destroyed an abandoned house in Langley this morning. Firefighters were called to a two-acre property on 200th between 24th and 16th Avenues. The Langley Township Fire Department says crews arrived at the scene just after 6 o'clock this morning to find the structure fully engulfed. The cause of the fire isn't known. Firefighters noted there are a lot of derelict trailers and boats as well as other items on the property. Langley RCMP says they are not investigating and that the home was slated for demolition. Another cancellation to tell you about, a popular East Vancouver tradition won't be going ahead as we know it this June. Good afternoon, everyone. Italian Day on Commercial Drive has been cancelled. The popular street festival would have celebrated its 10-year anniversary on Sunday, June 14th. 
Organizers are instead asking people to stay tuned for an alternative way to share the event as a message of courage and hope. Normally, thousands would flock to the drive each year to take in the 14-block celebration of all things Italian. With salons and barbershops closed, the Okanagan College Foundation is turning the reality of at-home haircuts into a, well, rather unusual fundraiser. Appropriately enough, the money from the home cuts is going to support a new health sciences building on the campus. Global's Megan Turcato has more. Nine-year-old Oliver among those letting his parents play barber during the pandemic. And this home haircut is also helping raise more than $400 for a local college. It's part of a campaign by the Okanagan College Foundation to raise funds for the college's new Health Sciences Centre, which is currently under construction in Kelowna. It's going to be an amazing facility with lots of not previously available spaces. Um, one of the important things about the new centre as well is that it's going to attract a whole range of new talent. Uh, for, and, and those people are going to work in our hospitals and, and care facilities right across the Okanagan. During the fundraiser, anyone willing to let family members perform at-home haircuts can join in, collecting pledges and sharing videos of their isolation haircuts online. We've had about 92 donors so far raised about three and a half thousand dollars um yeah so it's really kind of captured the imagination it's just a, a fun way for people to give back at the moment i think the fundraiser comes as some are starting to see the impact of closed salons usually i go to dylan and he does some magic with the little hair i have left but right now it's all standing up like crazy this okanagan college staff member let his wife do the honors after quickly beating his 100 dollars fundraising goal it worked out really well. It felt uh, lighter right away. <laughs> His normal stylist was even among those who donated. And I was blown away. That's a really great, great thing to do, especially during a time when he doesn't have any income. Well, not everyone gave their at-home haircuts a positive review. No, but are you happy about having raised some money? Yes. Yeah. The foundation is hoping the unorthodox fundraiser will give the college's healthcare students a boost and help open the new Health Sciences Center later this year. Megan Turcato, Global News, Kelowna. A group of volunteers is bringing a little fun to a senior's residence in Summerland. For the past four years, these volunteers have been coming to Angus Place to visit with the seniors, play games and sing songs. Well, since they can't go inside anymore, they're performing dance routines in the parking lot outside while the seniors look on from their balconies. It's so sweet because we ask them, you know, what are you grateful for? And we get some great shout outs for staff and our essential workers but they said we're so grateful for you for coming and the girls love it and we we really do truly miss them the group came together as part of the we to me program which encourages young people to volunteer well it was a small wedding a very small wedding but that's not all that made the nuptials of a young polish couple unusual have a look the bride and groom their two witnesses and the keyboard player all wore masks. Due to the pandemic, marriage offices in Poland had been closed. But now that restrictions have been relaxed a bit, couples can get married again. Still, wedding receptions are banned and everyone present has to wear a mask. 
That made the traditional wedding kiss a little bit awkward, not to mention the wedding photos. Mm, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Good for them. More and more Vancouver Whitecaps fans are stepping up to support their mask charity drive to help the Vancouver Aquarium. And the Caps now say 50,000 have been sold. That's about double the amount sold yesterday. You can go to the Whitecaps or Vancouver Aquarium websites to order yours. That is such a great success story. I know the aquarium needs a lot mm-hmm. of money, a million dollars a week to stay in business, but you know what? Every little bit counts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the equivalent of those Olympic mittens back in 2010. There seems right? to be the hot commodity. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Colleen. We're going to talk a little sports first, and maybe this is a glimmer of hope for sports fans. The uh, NBA plans to reopen certain team training facilities May 1st. That's this Friday in cities and states that have loosened restrictions. The workouts would be voluntary and limited to individual sessions only. No team workouts right now. States like Georgia, Florida and Oklahoma have loosened restrictions. Now, the province of Ontario has not. So Raptors players who are still in Toronto would not be able to go to their facilities until May 6th at the earliest. But as we know, all of this is still very fluid and things could change quickly. Meanwhile, in Italy, where they have had over 26,000 COVID-related deaths, the top pro soccer league there, Serie A, has announced teams will return to training May 18th with games resuming in June without fans. That is the plan. It could change. The league was shut down on March the 9th. Well, Friday, it was Abbotsford's Chase Claypool going to the Steelers in the second round of the NFL draft. Yesterday, another B.C. boy who just happens to be a receiver has his NFL dream in motion as well. Ryzen John, who spent the past four seasons at Simon Fraser, signed a free agent deal with the New York football giants after a 53-catch, 10-touchdown season for the Klan in NCAA Division II. John is an imposing 6'7", 235 pounds, and was a matchup nightmare living uh, playing up for SFU is a wide out, but he feels he may be better suited as a tight end in the NFL. A handful of teams were interested, including the Seahawks, but he signs with the Giants. John was also a high school star at Van College, as evidenced by that great diving catch. Well, as we've found out the past couple of months, being confined to your home doesn't mean you're confined to doing nothing. And Chilliwack's Gary Robbins proved that this weekend. Robbins is a world-class endurance runner who literally stepped up by spending his entire weekend on his treadmill. That is how you move after you've literally spent your weekend walking on a treadmill. Gary Robbins is one of the top endurance runners in the world. He's done 15 100-mile races in extreme mountain and weather conditions. But with the COVID pandemic shutting down those races, Robbins decided why not do a virtual race on a treadmill in his garage? Now, his idea of a race and your idea of a race are definitely two different things. Initially, I wanted to do 100 miles, 161 kilometers on the treadmill. I also wanted to do 30,000 feet of climbing, which is more than the sea level to the top of Mount Everest. I set off with that in mind, and after about 10 hours, my hamstrings were actually at the point where if I tried to accomplish that, I was going to be injured. So I had to to, uh, rearrange my goals as I was going, and I had to take that climbing down to 17 and a half thousand feet rather than 30,000. So, and then I was able to still get through the distance. And just under 26 hours later, 
Gary was done. He did take some breaks to rest, but mostly to break up the monotony of walking on a treadmill for those long stretches. I was essentially staring at the mirror of my own reflection with some sports highlights on in the background. And you can always stop by stepping off the treadmill and going to bed within about 10 seconds. So it was, uh, it was a, a deeper mental battle than, uh, not that I anticipated, but it was certainly a huge component of this challenge. He was also inspired by the support he got from his many running friends all over the world watching him live on YouTube. And he obviously inspired them to donate to his cause, BC Search and Rescue. For an adventurist who spends a lot of time in the mountains, always make sure the rescue organizations are well equipped. That's right, if I ever ever get flown out, I don't want to feel guilty about not having to pay for it. Nut butter and a maple syrup uh, gel, these were very easy on the stomach, easy to grab. Right now, he's paying the physical price for an exhausting 26 hours, never mind the sleep deprivation. At 43, he is in incredible condition, but imagine walking four consecutive marathons uphill. I'm definitely a wreck right now. I've run 1,500-mile races before, and uh, I'll take just as much damage off of this as I have off of my biggest mountain race. So uh, that was unexpected. I really thought it was going to be a little easier on my body overall, but... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have my legs up for a couple of days here. This is most certainly a one and done. In fact, if anybody would like a free treadmill, they can come grab it immediately. That's right. He's done. If you would like to contribute to Gary's cause for BC Search and Rescue, please go to the link on your screen, trailseries.ca slash support SAR. They have raised over $14,000 so far, but hey, the dude just spent his entire weekend on a treadmill going uphill. I think he deserves more donations and he would appreciate it, appreciate it. And rumor has it, he was on the treadmill for so long, he actually started the day clean shaven. <laughs> so. Our BC healthcare heroes, Yvonne, who's being honored tonight? Tonight, we are recognizing all the staff members at Villa Cathy Care Home. Villa Cathy has been declared as an outbreak center since one of their workers tested positive in March. All the staff members work tirelessly to care for the seniors' everyday needs, and they help them stay connected with their families with WhatsApp at least once a week. So thank you to all the staff members, and if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. A description is always so helpful. Absolutely. Cathay, sorry, Cathay, there we go. Cathay, like Cathay Pacific. Like Cathay Pacific, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, okay, we're going to stick with the theme of healthcare heroes for a moment. Saturday Night Live did another virtually live show last night. It opened with Brad Pitt portraying White House Coronavirus Task Force lead Dr. Anthony Fauci, commenting on U.S. President Donald Trump's recent statements about the pandemic. Here's just part of it. Now, there is a rumor that the president is going to fire me. Let's see what he said about that. Today I walk in, I hear I'm going to fire him. I'm not firing him. I think he's a wonderful guy. So, yeah, I'm getting fired. But until then, I'm going to be there putting out the facts for whoever's listening. And when I hear things like the virus can be cured if everyone takes the Tide Pod challenge, I'll be there to say, please don't. And to the real Dr. Fauci... Thank you for your calm and your clarity in this unnerving time. And thank you to the medical workers, first responders, and their families for being on the front line. Makes you feel grateful to have somebody like Dr. Bonnie Henry, doesn't it? (laughs) You know? I hope Brad Pitt plays me. (laughs) 
maybe <laughs> next week on SNL. I don't know. You'd have to grow a beard, I suppose. No kidding. I'd be happy if he played me. <laughs> me too. All of us. All right. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is going to be here at 11. I uh, hope you have a good night and stay safe.